We're going to jump into our last message of you and me. It's been a really great series. Uh, if you have not had a chance to listen to all of our messages, you can hit them up online. Um, but, um, you know, as Rachel and Matt were reading the passage, how many of you guys felt a bit uncomfortable at the part where it said, uh, my little sister, she has no breasts? Like, I don't know if, like, you know, we read those kinds of passages on Sundays at any typical church. Uh, all the teenagers in the back are giggling when we got to that part of the scripture, right? It's kind of like, it kind of reads like a really like, you know, Nora Roberts, is that her name? Uh, romance novel. If you've ever read Song of Songs or Songs of Solomon, like it reads like a romance novel. It really does. As a matter of fact, I was reading through it a couple times this week and there were a couple times where I was like, ah, like this is making me uncomfortable. I would never describe my wife in that way. I would never touch her in that way, right? And so if you read it, especially as a single person, you might be like, oh, this is like really awkward. Um, and that goes to show that there are topics in the Bible that even us are unwilling to, to breach, but God is taking initiative, it, uh, initiative on it. Um, because of the explicit language of Song of Solomon, and we're just not going to have enough time to go through all of the passage, but the explicit language in the direct uh, uh, references to sex and romance, a lot of interpreters of the Bible in the past had a very hard time understanding what the book meant, and so they allegorized it. And so they said, oh, well, this book is about God's love for Israel. And eventually, when the Christians uh, got a handle of it, they said, oh, this is actually a book about Jesus' love for the church, right? And that's a beautiful way to think of the metaphor. But there are other scholars, and this is kind of where I would, I would land, is they uh, look at the book and they say, no, it was written for a very important purpose, just like all of the Old Testament was written for. It was a prophetic book to Israel. It was God addressing the sins of Israel, specifically the sins of the kings, that when God was, uh, when the, this book was being written, it was painting a picture of God's uh, ideal for love and romance, things that the kings of Israel had left behind. As a matter of fact, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, God is very explicit. Before there was ever a king in Israel, he says that, and your kings, he shall not uh, go after many wives, lest his heart turn away. And so God was very explicit. But the kings, they enjoyed this life. They had a harem. It was very common. They learned from other nations. And so even the kings of Israel had harems. And they were polyamorous, which meant they had relationships with multiple different people. And so they developed concubines and all of this. And so in the midst of that, very early on in the midst of the monarchies, this book was written to call the kings back into the standard that God had set for them. Right? And so it took really explicit language to, to create, like, it was appealing towards the imagination, right? And so it was written in a way where it was supposed to woo the king back into this desire to pursue just one woman in his life. And so every time a man read it, this is how he read it. He read it and he says, wow, look at my leader king. He's pursuing one woman in the adventure of getting to know her. That's how the man read it. And when the woman read it, she read it and she's like, wow. I'm worthy of pursuit of even a king, right? And then when the king read it, he's like, oh, I suck. Why do I have, <laughs> why do I have like 300 concubines back there, right? What happened? I used to be happily married to her. What happened? And so the Songs of Solomon is a prophetic book 
Uh, it's not just uh, other people have taken it to an extreme. They've made it like this manual guide for Christian sex, and it's not that either. All right. And so, um, like a lot of times when I preach, I want to give you like one overarching theme. Uh, I usually call it my tweetable. Uh, and this is what it is for this week. Is that when I'm in a place of influence and I compromise my sexual and relational ethic, I essentially give others around me the excuse to follow. Friends, children, new Christians, etc. If King Solomon lives a lifestyle of compromise, all of his kingdom will compromise. The Song of Songs is God's heartfelt, imaginative plea saying, Solomon, please do it the right way so that your kingdom will do it the right way. There's much at stake in your relationships besides your own happiness. So much more at stake. All right. And so this morning, Trina Life, can I be real? I mean, we got some guests, and so um, I want to be real this morning. I want to say, Trini Life, please do this the right way. It's not just about your own happiness, although God is very concerned about your happiness. It's not just about your happiness. And so I want to, uh, from the heart of a pastor and less of a teacher this morning, I want to guide us through some things that I feel like as we are growing as a young church, the things that we need to know. Uh, we were praying this morning, Matt, Michelle, and I, we were praying for the church, and I felt this urgency inside my heart that um, I can only uh, be in leadership, and Mike and I, as we work together, we can only lead a church that we want to be a part of. We don't want to lead a church that we don't want to be a part of. And so with that is there's some deep convictions in our hearts of how God desires us to do relationships, specifically uh, marriage and romantic relationships. And so I'm going to walk slowly, or not slowly, but I want to walk you know, carefully through some pastoral things uh, with you. A lot of that comes out of spending time with you. A lot of it is also things that God has put in our hearts. And so I need some permission from you a little bit to push uh, and uh, with that, um, you know, think through some things. To those of us who are in marriage, I want to say this, and are married, there's a passage in Song of Solomon, verse 215, and it says, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. And for us that are married, it's very easy to neglect the little things that are ruining our vineyard, our marriage. Uh, and those who are single, in 3, verse 5, uh, uh, she's the, the bride saying to her friends, don't stir up and awaken love. And there's a sense in which, as a single, that you could be pursuing things that's it's not your time yet. You know, I know you're 37, but it may not be your time yet. Okay? And so we're going to work through some of those things. When you're in a place of influence and you compromise your ethics, you're essentially giving others the excuse to follow. So there are three things real quick we're going to go through is number one is having the right motivation. Number two is having the right character. And three, having the right timing. All right, motivation, character, and timing. So if you look at the passage, um, the bride, overall, she's pretty young. Uh, she has no breasts. I hope that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, scholars think she's about the age of 14. And yet, if you read through chapter thir- uh, three, the one that we just read, she is aggressively pursuing this guy. Have you met a 14-year-old like that? Right. Uh, just aggressively pursuing her man. You know, and so the question is, does she really know what she want? Like those of us who are 24, 34, you don't know what you want. How could this girl who's 14 know what she wants, right? Uh, here's some, here's some things that are important. Number one, uh, 
our generation is the generation that emotionally matures the slowest of all generations. Brookings Institute has been very clear that the millennials, like we are the least mature, maturing of all generations. Uh, it's not uncommon, and the, uh, please, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it's not uncommon for men who are in their early 30s to be living at home still, right? Uh, however, in the Old Testament, uh, the average age was 14 to 16 when they got married. It was not uncommon for a guy during his engagement period to be building his own house. So then when he brings home his 15-year-old, he's already got a house, all right? Some of you guys, I know you guys are working on your first apartment still. That's okay, all right? Uh, but this is the world in which they're living in. And so um, I don't know, what does that do for you? Like, you know, if you're in this age category where you're struggling with like getting ready and stuff like that, and this is no condemnation. But I'm just saying, like, this girl, she knows what she wants. She does. But it's not because she's got things figured out. I mean, it's not because, like, at 14, she's got life figured out. The reason why she has the right motivation is not because she's, like, thought through this. Is that if you read all eight chapters of Song of Solomon's, you realize that she has family and friends around her that have been preparing her the whole time. And so her motivation doesn't come from confidence in herself. Her motivation comes from the people that God's put around her, right? And so constantly throughout this uh, book, you have people saying, oh, girl, you're so beautiful, right? Or, oh, yeah, he's the one that you want, or those kinds of things, right? Cheering her on, confirming her. And so this is the ideal. This is how relationships work, right? And so you read the whole entire book, you realize that she had been training her whole entire life in platonic relationships first before she entered into this romantic relationship. And what I'm finding, and this is true about me, it's true about some of us, is that if you don't do a good job developing platonic relationships, that's a probably good indicator that you're not going to be very great at your romantic relationships. There are skills that are necessary, and this is what Mike preached about in the first week, in platonic friendships that form the foundation for any other kind of relationship. She had that. We were meant to have that. Not all of us do. But I'm just saying, we were meant to have that, right? So there's a big difference. Uh, when a girl knows the security of a few brothers who genuinely care for her, she will not be tricked by Mr. Slick. When a guy has the security of a couple girls around him, affirming him, he doesn't need to be Mr. Slick. He doesn't need to be Mr. Timid either, right? So we read uh, verses 8 through uh, 9 again, which is, the least awkward of the rest of the uh, book, I might add, uh, I, I picked the ones that were the least awkward. Uh, this is, I'll read it again. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day that she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. These are her brothers saying, we're getting her ready for her marriage day, for her wedding. I take responsibility. I will get her ready. Even at the age where she doesn't have the physical capabilities of producing yet, I will take it upon myself to make sure that my sister is ready. Part of that is protection. The other part of that is speaking wisdom into her life. But these men, her brothers, say, we'll do it. We'll make sure. And so they're getting her ready. And here, here's the application of this point, because 
the application isn't so much, okay, now I want to get married, so let me find eight guys to affirm me and so that I can get ready. All right, that's not necessarily the application. I want to flip the application around a little bit. And I want to challenge you, Trinity Life. Are you taking responsibility for other people? Like, I know you got tons of things going on. Like, I know we're stressed out and maxed out. But other people suffering and making bad choices because we're, we're, we're not taking responsibility for them. We know church is not a worship service. Uh, church is discipleship. Church is leading and being led by other people. Church is having someone come over to my house, watching me cook and clean with my wife, talk to my wife, eating my cooking, helping me wash my dishes, helping me, you know, figure things out with my kids. That's discipleship. Single people, church is not filling up your schedule with watching Dancing with the Stars as much as it is having people over to build into their lives. It's a weekly scheduling time with one or two people to invest in them. So without any kind of condemnation, but with a little bit of urgency, how are you doing on that? I know a lot of us, we didn't grow up in the church, and so it doesn't, uh, you're not at that point where you're thinking these things. But some of us are. How are you doing? Uh, guys, only another guy can tell you whether you got it or not. A girl can't tell you that. Maybe your mom or your sister can do that. But it takes another man to tell you, yeah, bro, you got it. You ready. I was talking to a guy two weeks ago. He says, I think he's getting ready to propose. Don't want to say any names. But um, he's saying, man, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I looked him in the eyes and said, what are you worried about? He's like, I'm not making enough money, and I'm just worried that it's too soon. I said, how much, like, percentage-wise? You know, I was an engineer, so I like to know, right? Percentage-wise, he's like, ah, man, 85%. I'm like, bro, you're way ready at 85%. (laughs) You got it. You got it, man. Just spending a year with this guy. I know he's ready. I know he's got it. No one can tell you that, but another person who, who lives it out, who knows it. Right. Uh, girls, if you like a guy, and I know we're in an age where, you know, equality reigns. Like, I totally get that. I support that. I have fairly feminist leaning views on certain things, right? So, um, if we believe that women should vote and should, can be CEOs, then we're all in some ways a bit feminist, okay? Um, but, uh, if you like a guy, find the best guy that you know. Someone godly, not creepy and godly, but godly, right? Ask him to take your little boyfriend on a date. And then ask him for a report. And trust him. He'll tell you. He'll say, hey, I, this guy, he is a bench warmer. Like, uh, but he's got some skills that we can develop. Yeah. He, he's got some coordination. Or he'll tell you, girl, run as fast and far away from this guy as possible, right? Hey, I'll do that for you. Mike, we'll do that for you. I don't want to volunteer other people, but (laughs) Adam will do that for you. All right. Find godly men that aren't creepy. I want to qualify that. That'll take your dude out for some time, right? 
husbands and wives, um, become an expert in your spouse's strength. No one should know your spouse better than you. No one should be developing your spouse in their strengths more than you are. This is a place of motivation, all right? This is not, not the, don't be the guy who wants a trophy wife, and so he's going to buy her the best clothes and all that stuff. Be the guy who knows his wife best and is working hard to develop her in that way. That's a good motivation. The guy who just wants a trophy wife, bad motivation, all right? Likewise for the ladies, wives, if you just want your husband to be the most respectable man, which is not a bad thing, but if that is your goal to have the most public, you know, best reputation, um, not a great motivation. Know your husband's strength built into that, right? So uh, I'm reminded of this in my marriage all the time. Before, my wife is my wife. She's my sister, my sister in Christ. She has been provided in my life to build me up to be like Jesus and me otherwise. And here's the thing, not all of us, like, I mean, how many of us are married with children? I just want to, okay. Yeah, it's increasing. Our numbers are rising, guys. <laughs> when I was a young father, it was very difficult for me to think, how do I lead my children? I, I had no clue. How do I do, you know, how do I pray with my children? No clue. So this is what I did. Here's something really practical. Hey, Jess, raise your hand, buddy. Turn 14 this week. Man, <laughs> handsome young fellow. Uh, when Justin was a little baby, and I would cradle him and rock him, and I didn't know how to raise him. I was 21, by the way. And so I was rocking him, and I would say, God, one day, let me teach him the Bible. It was that simple. I just prayed that prayer. Let me teach him the Bible. And as Justin got a little bit older, Justin, as you got a little bit older, then we would sing with Justin and we would pray at the table with Justin. This was not like cute sometimes. Sometimes it was a yelling prayer. <laughs> Foods on it. Yeah, actually, Justin, Justin was a very clean eater. Uh, and so, um, and then we got a little bit older. Me and Linda, we would try to do some Sunday night prayer together. And even though he couldn't sit still during the time, we would try our best and it was frustrating week after week after week. We didn't try to do it every day because we knew that was setting us up for failure. So we just did Sunday evenings and then week after week. And so eventually other children came along. It became more complicated. It was not peaceful times, but we tried it and God honored it. Eventually we got to a point where we're saying, hey, Justin, you can read now. Great. Can you read one passage in the Bible tonight? And he stumbled and you did a great, fantastic job, Justin. He stumbled and read through the passage. And we don't know if we're doing well or not. We're just making stuff up as we're going along, right? I have no clue if we're doing anything like the right way. As we get a little bit older and then we're doing our time together again, it's like, hey, you want to try to lead this one? Oh, uh, lead family devotions? And this is, sorry, Jess, I didn't ask you permission for this, but... <laughs> This is when you were about maybe 11 or 12. He breaks out the PowerPoint. And he's, he's getting pictures of people. And uh, oh, that's sorry, Jess. I, I should have got your permission. And he's teaching his brothers how to do this. It's not perfect. It's awkward. Joel is still over here sleeping on the couch and all that stuff. And it's not perfect. But the little that we had to offer, God is honoring. 
It comes from a place not of skill necessarily, but it comes from a deep conviction that we are going to introduce a culture to the family. We're going to dictate what that looks like. So don't get angry at me, but here's the thing. You can't do it by yourself. You can't. You need help. Our heart, Jeremiah 17 says, that our heart is more deceitful and wicked than we could ever discern. So that's why we need each other to do it. All right. Right motivation. Second thing is this, right character. Um, The author of Song of Solomon's uh, pulls no punches when it comes to elaborating descriptions of romance and physical intimacy. Just read them. There are some things where you're like, is that a grape or is that a body part that they're describing? I don't know if that should go in that location. It's like, it's very like awkward. So, but the intentions is that the, the author is wanting to arouse the reader. It's kind of like, kind of weird. Like, can you say that about the Bible? Like, this was written to arouse the reader? Yeah. It's really awkward, right? I mean, 65 other books, there's God and like smiting people and stuff like that. And this one is meant to arouse the reader. But it's not meant to arouse the reader like porn is meant to arouse people, okay? It's meant to arouse the character inside of them. That when they read Song of Solomon, there's something about them that they want to rise up to a standard. I want to live out this story. Like, it's so beautiful, right? He's trying to arouse character. Uh, in, uh, uh, in 3, verse 1 and 2 again, I'm going to read that for us again. And this is the bride on her bed. And this is what she's saying to herself. I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not I will rise now and go about in the city, in the streets, and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I mean, that's that's really disappointing for this girl. Like, she's trying to find this guy, and she can't find him, but she knows she really wants to be with him, and it's hard for her, right? And so uh, some of you guys are like saying, yeah, that's that's the story of my life. Like, that's me. I've been trying and fail, All right? So here's the, here's the part where it's important, where it speaks about character. <clears throat> because the person who doesn't have security in God will read this, will read what she has to say and say, oh, that's so pathetic. Please don't let that be me. Okay. I don't want to be the one begging for a girl or a guy. I don't want to be the one who has to wait and, and wait and be disappointed. That's so pathetic. I don't want to be that person. It's a very difficult place to be in, right? And here are three things that I want to help you understand as you're praying and you're, you're seeking and you're desperate like a person like this. And maybe you're married to that person, okay? Maybe you're already married to this person, but you're still saying, oh, this is pathetic. Why do I still want more when I have this person, all right? And I want to give you some guidelines for when you're praying for somebody to come into your life or when you're praying for the person who's already in your life, hopefully not to leave, but to become the person that you really want, all right? Three principles for when you're praying in this way. All right. The first is this, is when God answers your prayer with a yes, it's because he's building your faith. God, would you bring this person to my life? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody gets introduced to you. Like, oh, wow. Build your faith. When you're praying, God, would you help my wife work through these issues in her life? And it's happening. Wow. Builds my faith, all right? When God answers your prayer with no, he's building your character. God, would you give me this? Would you help with that? And God says, no. It's because he's building your character. 
where God answers your prayer with wait, which always means wait here with me. Not wait in the waiting room, not wait by yourself, but wait here with me. It's always because he's building your holiness, your sanctification, your being set apart, reserved for him. Yes, no, and wait are all good answers. And this is where I'm going to push. Yes, no, and wait are all fair answers. No is fair. Wait is fair. Because in all three answers, you are being discipled into the image of Christ. In a yes, in a no, in a wait, but all three answers raises your level of faithfulness to God. Did you know that Jesus' character, Jesus himself, whom Christians believe was not just divine, but humanly perfect in his actions and his obedience. Did you realize that Jesus himself was developed and was born out of no's and waits as well? That Jesus faced no's and he also faced waits. And so I'm kind of jumping the gun. Our next uh, series is in the book of Hebrews. And so as I was studying that, I read the passage and it just really jumped out at me. In Hebrews 4 and 5, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. In 5.7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. You can save me from death, Father. Crying, tears. God heard him, it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. But when Jesus was getting ready to die and he said, Father, if there's any other way, what was the Father's answer? No. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what that just means is this, because of his obedience, he became a bridge for other people. Because of the no's and the yeses and the waits, that qualified him to be a bridge for other people. If God the Father was forming Jesus' identity through no's and waits, as you're praying for the other person and God is giving you no's and waits, you have to believe that he still loves you, that he's forming you. He's not left you alone. Um, I want to talk about this idea of the list that is kind of like this famous idea that I have a list of 10 things that I want God to give to me in a spouse or in a, you know, significant other. Uh, some of you guys have a list of not 10 things, but a list of 27 pages of what you're looking for. All right. <clears throat> um, I wasn't mature enough to have that. Uh, again, I met Linda at 16, dated at 18, married at 19. Uh, at that age, I didn't have a list. I had a stethoscope. I would put it on, went up to a girl. Do you have a pulse? Okay, that's a candidate. <laughs> And so that was kind of the way that I did things. I had no lists. A lot of you guys have, you know, 27 pages. Um, the list is helpful. I support the list. You should have a list, all right? Because the list is not about the other, the other person's character as much as it is about your character, all right? Because in the list, if it's 27 pages, that says something about you, 
Okay. All right. But if your list has legitimately 10 things and the person that you're talking to or in a relationship with only has two out of the 10, but you're adamant about being in that relationship, that says more about your character than theirs. And so I support the list because the list helps us to discern between yeses and noes. Right? Um, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but guys, like, you can do this. You can be a person of character. You can overcome addictions. You can be a leader. You can take initiative. Is it fearful sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Do you need to maintain a job? Probably. All right. Some of you need to bump part-time up to full-time. That's okay. If part-time stresses you out, you know, it's okay to be full-time working. Right. Bar kind of medical situations and stuff like that. You can be that person. Ladies, you don't have to lower your standards. You may have to rethink things through, but you don't have to lower your standards. You will not be left alone. Even in the no's and the weights, you will not be left alone. God will not leave you alone. You are not being overlooked. You have not been overlooked in this process. Um, in church, like I, I feel like this is where I get a chance to to set a pace for us because I my dream for uh, for our community is not so much that we have great worship services and we're great at volunteering with organizations, even though I feel like we have these things. But I hope that we're in this relationship where we can build character into each other. Like legitimately, I can say things to you, and you can say things to me, and we can work things out in a way where we're building each other out. Well, we have courage to do that. Because in a city like Toronto, nobody else is interested in doing that in your life. Nobody. Nobody wants to do that for you. Maybe your family. Nobody else. I don't want to be a part of a church where nobody wants to do that. All right. Way too serious. Uh, number three, right timing. Uh, and I'm done with time. So, uh, lastly, the young bride constantly gives this advice to her friends throughout the book. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There's a timing in relationships, all right? Relationships have seasons. There are ups, there are downs. Things go faster at times. Things are very slow at times. Time is needed for you to mature. Time is needed for you to be healed from the past. Time is needed for you to learn more. Time is needed for you to develop your patience. Time is needed for the other person to experience these things as well. Time is not in your hands. You are not in control of time. You cannot speed it up. When you ask the question, how long, Lord, before this? That's a great question, but it's not the best question. It's a, let me propose to you, how long is a very frustrating question, right? But chances are, some of you guys, uh, uh, the waiting is not so much God. Chances are, as most of us men, and this is just because I know myself, and but most of it, usually, the slowness of things has to do with me. And this is a painful lesson that I try to teach my children, that slow obedience, slow obedience is no obedience. Now, there are some things that you're waiting on, not because God isn't ready to give it to you. You need to take care of some business. There's some things, some details in your life that it's, 
that are coming to the forefront and you keep pushing away. Slow obedience is no obedience. And ladies, uh, you kind of work the opposite of guys. You know, I'm making generalizations. Everybody's unique. But ladies, you tend to, you, some of you might be jumping the gun. Or some of you have jumped the gun. And at times you've even said to yourself that God is in this decision. God is in this. I know God is in this. I know he's with me in this decision. I'm a young pastor and I've not been around a long time. I'm only 25 plus 10. Um, but I know that whenever somebody tells me that God is in this, that God is not always in it. And here's the news flash, okay? God will allow you to make mistakes. Right? But it doesn't mean that he's in the mistake with you. Okay, I said it. Sometimes what you think is the right thing is not the right thing. Uh, I'm going to try to be more sensitive now. Um, uh, you wonder what she means by the gazelles or the does of the field? She says she uses this phrase. And so um, this is important because uh, if you're a deer hunter, you would understand this a little bit more. Deer are very easily scared. All right. Anybody ever seen a deer in real life? Okay. They're very, uh, they're very easy to be scared off. Right. And so this is actually a word of caution to those of us who consider ourselves the counselor types. All right. Because by the way that we observe people and the, their dating relationships, we need to be careful of the advice that we try to give them, right? Because they oftentimes are like deer. <laughs> we need to be gentle and discerning when we counsel people in relationships. Learn this. And those of us who are who feel like we have a call to to you know some kind of like counseling mentoring role, that you have to learn that people are like. It's, you can scare them off easily. Be gentle. Be discerning. Uh, taking this outside of the realm of relationships, in life, you can say the right things, but you can say them in the wrong way. Okay? Timing and delivery is so important when you're walking with people through things. And so not everything that is right needs to come out right away. Don't patronize them, but also don't rub salt in their wound. Okay? We're going to end with the story about Jesus and the woman that was caught in adultery. Because you notice in the story that um, uh, Jesus actually ends up correcting her. He, he, she, she's a woman who, we don't know her background, it's not very explicit, but she was obviously in an adulterous relationship. It seems like she was caught in the act. The religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus and show the world that he's not the real deal. They bring her to Jesus. What's he going to do? If he endorses her, then he obviously is endorsing sin. If he stones her, then he's just like the rest of us. There's nothing like great about this guy. And so they're trying to trap him. And so this poor victim, who's really not a victim because she's living in a life of sin, is brought before Jesus. And so they want to see how is Jesus going to handle her. All right. You notice that he doesn't scold her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't even blame her, but he corrects her. How? By the gazelles and the does of the field. Gently. Ever so gently. As not to scare her away. These are his words. He says, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. 
Go and sin no more. Gentle correction. All of us have messed up relationships. I can sit up here and tell you at least three relationships that I'm not very proud of in my life. All of us are maybe not physically adulterers, but we're in some ways spiritual adulterers at heart. We have no right to condemn anybody. Jesus has the right. He's perfect. He has the right. But what does he say instead? What does Jesus do? Like, what, what does he do? He plays the role of an older brother. He plays the role of an older brother. He says, I have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall I do for my sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, I will build her up. If she is a door, I will make her beautiful. Jesus becomes his brother that says, I, I will build her up. I will prepare her, not just for her earthly groom, not just for her earthly father, but I will prepare her for her heavenly groom, her heavenly father. Jesus is preparing her for himself by not tearing her down, but gently, gently correcting her. I have to say this. You don't have to be a girl to relate to this. I, as a brother, have been gently rebuked by Jesus. Many times I've heard him say, I have a little brother, and he has no spine. <laughs> he has no spine. What shall I do for my little brother? I will build him up. I will make sure he is the best looking door as possible. Guys, this, that's what Jesus has done for me. We talked about my bench warmer story. Uh, when I married Linda at 19, did not have a checking account. I uh, did not know how to provide for our family. I did not know how to keep my eyes pure. I did not know how to be responsible and have a job. Uh, I did not know how to organize my time, my money. I did not know how to lead. When I had children, I offloaded my responsibilities to my already burnt out and stressed wife. And this is how we lived for the first couple of years of our marriage. But gently, ever so gently, Jesus would say to me, this is my little brother. He has no spine, but I will build him up. And so he brought Linda into my life, not because I was a hopeless romantic. In some ways, I was a nerd. So romance was like third on my list. <laughs> but he realized that here's a brother that needs to be built up. He needs a sister. He needs a heavy-duty sister. And that's what he brought me. Linda, in a lot of ways, has taught me about my role as husband and man. Not because she pointed at the Bible, but she lived a standard that I had to catch up to. And that's a frustrating experience for women, to live a standard for the men around you to catch up to. But stop living that standard, or don't stop living that standard. Sorry. <laughs> we'll edit that. Your husbands will tell you to stop living that standard. Um, in the midst of it, what she was doing for me, eventually when I caught up, I began to be able to do for her. And I wish I could say that it was like at age you know, 22 that that happened, but I don't think there was a real magic number. I spent some time with Ken and Clara uh, yesterday, and I told them that I think it was probably around the age 26 or 27. 
uh, I don't want to leave you a little bit, uh, leave you disappointed or hopeless, but it took me uh, eight years uh, before I moved from the status of bench warmer to some playing time in this game. And uh, I look back, me and Linda will not be defined in heaven by our marriage. We will be defined by the fact that I brothered her and she sistered me. And we don't, we don't need romance for that necessarily. My heart and prayer for our church is that we would be courageous, that we would live our lives as a beacon to our city that needs you to live this way. Our city needs you to live this way. We need to, we need to accept the challenge that God is calling us to the standard. And even if we fall short and we do it imperfectly, Jesus will say, I have a little sister, a little brother. They don't have what it takes, but I will build them up.